Welcome to the GFY Podcast, a podcast by healthcare professionals providing insight on how to navigate your health so that you can go fix yourself. The GFY Podcast is hosted by Mike Bruno, a chiropractor and athletic trainer, and yours truly, Michael Stant, an athletic trainer and certified strength conditioning specialist. Disclaimer, although we are healthcare providers, we are not your healthcare provider. We will discuss general health interventions in this podcast, but you should not take that as health advice that works in every situation. Before doing anything on your own or making any lifestyle changes, please consult with your own physician. This podcast and views from this podcast are separate from our uh, own full-time jobs and are completely our own opinions. Today, we are talking about injury prevention and the term prevention and how can you actually prevent all injuries? It don't sound too excited, bro. It's, uh, it, you know, I, I think I could go a quick history of when I first came out of school and I read all these books and reading all these articles. And I'm like, hell yeah, I am preventing every injury imaginable. And all I remember is going through trying to implement injury prevention, quote unquote, programs and realizing that I was not preventing all injuries. Um, and that's, you know, I, I think we'll probably between me and Bruno, we'll talk a little bit more of injury prevention is a lot more than a two sets a week, 15 minute intervention program. There's a lot of good research telling you that, hey, you do a little bit of something, it will help, but it doesn't encompass the whole picture of what you're trying to achieve. Um, you know, and, and I'll say the term that I'll typically state to people, I even try to, I catch myself saying injury prevention, I usually say injury risk reduction, because you're just never truly going to prevent every injury. Took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. When you're <clears throat> like defining prevention, that means like if you do this, then this won't happen. And I can't think of one instance where that's the case. You can do everything you can to try and avoid injury. Do read all your research, do all those crazy things. You can devote your life to it, but you can still get hit by a bus. Like there's no, there's no stopping it. You know what I mean? So there's no, there's no absolutes in the game of injury prevention, which could piss a lot of people off because there are a lot of people that's like a marketing tactic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When you're out there trying to not have another ACL tear, you go through the, I've worked with so many people, young athletes too, in high school, three ACL tears before they graduate high school on the same knee. So if someone sold them, you'll never tear your ACL again. If you do this, I'm sure a lot of them would buy into it without knowing any better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it, you know, if you look at the research injuries in baseball, uh, hamstring injuries in soccer, which is the, probably one of the most major injuries that they kind of deal with, up, uh, ACL, up. Uh. So like we, we, we haven't actually, actually gotten very good at, preventing these injuries um, but but is it that the injury incidence is going up or we're just getting better at tracking it it could be both you're not wrong there um yeah. and you know the concussions weren't a thing 40 years ago yeah yeah i mean yeah so like are you saying concussions are up because we changed the classification starting in 2012 so anything before that yeah i was just listening to a, another podcast and this could be very out of context because I don't know the whole story, but it was something about Brett Favre 
Do you know what I'm, what I'm trying to get into? Uh, how he stole a bunch of people's money. Maybe that's off topic too. <laughs> no, no, not not that part. The football Brett part. But it was something along the lines of like, can you guesstimate in your career because he's insanely long career how many times you got your quote unquote bell rung? And he's like, oh, easily over a thousand, easily. But the way they defined bell rung, they put them through all these like specific wording or whatever. Every bell rang instance should have been diagnosed as a concussion way back when but it wasn't because we weren't aware of it the and the the public perception like people weren't aware of what it of what the results could be from like all those head injuries and stuff so it wasn't getting tracked um but now if you said that it'd be insane Mm mm-hmm yeah, and I think there are some things that we've gotten better at reducing the risk of. Um, you know, I think in baseball, you know, we've reduced a lot of the risk of a lot of shoulder injuries if you go through the research and things like that. But then, you know, our elbow Tommy John surgeries are still kind of through the roof. And once again, that becomes a, are we doing more surgeries of it? And that's what's leading to it. Um, who knows? Like people are throwing are throwing harder than ever before. People are bigger than ever before trying to throw as hard as they can. And that's going to, anytime you increase how hard you're doing something, it's more stress your body feels. Um, so you could have every, everything perfect and it might not work. Um, yeah. So it's, when it comes to prevention, I think what, what stings me is like, yeah, you kind of talk about that business model of, Oh, we will prevent these injuries. And it's just like, I talked about, I, you know, I'll talk about, you know, Preventing injuries is so big. Um, at the collegiate level, I always talk about when do our injuries spike? And this might be more anecdotal. And this is probably more what I'm saying. I go, I always go, I, I always see our all of our injuries spike in October and April. And the reason why for me is as a collegiate student, all right, you're going to the middle of, you know, that's kind of like the middle of the semester. You've been building up, you're doing a bunch of stuff, then you got midterms, okay? What happens with midterms? People stop sleeping, people stop feeling right. There's, it just becomes so many different factors going on all at one time for a kid that your, your 15-minute glute prep work isn't doing anything. Like that, that, That's not the issue there. It's the total workload that someone's experiencing, and that's kind of why these injuries are probably occurring. And a lot of times it's, you can attempt to address all that and it still may not make a difference. Um, But I think that's where a lot of people miss the mark. They do all this extra stuff and they forget the simple stuff involved with prevention. Risk reduction. Sorry. (laughs) You did it. You did it. Um, Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's so much to be said about sleep, hydration, and nutrition, which we talked about in a previous episode that will play leaps and bounds into that injury risk reduction over any sort of prep work that you could possibly do going into like a game. Uh, Working with the more high level you get in organized sports, the more they kind of pay attention to that. So working with a team where you're traveling and you're in a different country and like you're there for weeks or months at a time those sports nutritionists athletic trainers they're tracking how do you feel this morning they're checking they're checking hydration every morning with a pee sample they're 
how do you sleep? How many hours of sleep did you get? Rate your fatigue, all these kinds of things. All that data is being tracked because they can correlate that to when kids are getting injured or not, mm-hmm. which is super, super interesting. Yeah. And so they can correlate injury. And, that, and then what's interesting is, um, so you go, let's say, all right, so let's kind of take a step back. Like we kind of talked about screening in general, right? You, you have primary screening, secondary screening, tertiary screening, or you could call it prevention. You have primary prevention, secondary prevention, tertiary prevention. Primary prevention is I am pretty much trying to stop what's going to happen. So I'm identifying this risk factor and I'm stopping it. Uh, typically, you say like, typically it's a vaccine is the typical example for primary prevention. Um, secondary prevention is I'm screening you. I find this wrong. We're going to work on that. And that's probably, that would probably fall along our injury risk screens type of deal. Tertiary prevention is saying you've had this injury. Now we're going to try to prevent it from happening ever again. Okay. Um, so you're right. You roll your ankle. All right. I'm going to work ankle strength and hip abductor strength to kind of help that. Um, but so, you know, one of the things is let's say we go and do our screenings and we identify someone, Hey, I think they're at risk for an ACL tear. Um, for whatever measure that we're going to use, force plates, bar speed, functional movement screening. Don't know who even still uses that anymore. The, the actual FMS, no, no offense to them, just don't see it. Um, but, you know, are we going to identify and go, you know what? You cannot play lacrosse for six weeks until we actually work on this and make you better. You're not going to play soccer until we work on this and make you better. Like, is that a reasonable thing to do? Like, that's that's where we kind of fall into this whole, like, so you could, it, there's an article out there at some point where they said, why even waste your time screening? Like, it was like, like, don't screen, just, you know, every sport kind of has their general, you know, if you go to soccer, you have the FIFA 11, the FIFA 11 plus, um, baseball, everyone has kind of their own their own shtick but like everyone has their own program that they can use for the general demands of sport and you can at least start there for a prevention program but kind of what we've talked about before everyone probably injury risk reduction program i'm going to keep doing it because people are trying to get to me but mm-hmm. at some point you have to like kind of make it individualized and do that and then you know we're kind of talking about okay if someone has trash sleep a day before a game maybe not, or a day before a practice, are you going to hold that person out? Like that was, that was where I was going with that. And so that's, that's where we get, we, we get stuck in this where we're taking all this data and then it's like, all right, awesome. Yeah. We're going to do X, Y, Z, blah, blah. But we never actually take the thing that could actually cause the injury out. What we always end up doing is going, well, okay. They trash your sleep but how can we help them feel better to then still practice or how can we, how can we improve their, at least give them something to do to improve their sleep, but it's not going to correct the problem right there. Uh, okay. They've been under feeling, they've been under feeling. We know they're under feeling, we know they're dehydrated. How do we make sure that they get their hydration number back up before practice starts? Um, and it's just like that. That's kind of where you get stuck in this high performance setting you know, I don't mean you aren't at that level. And that's maybe someone we talk to one of these days is 
hey, are you actually using these numbers to say you cannot go today? And yeah. then if they are looking at because they some of these teams might have enough data at this point to go, you know what? We looked back and we saw that this guy's sleep was trash for two days in a row and then had an injury on the third or fourth day. Um, who knows? It, it's the, the prevention stuff. It's just a hairy game in my head. Like there's the stuff that we can do in general if we go, hey, this is something that could increase your risk of injury. We're going to address it and see what happens. But at the end of the day, you could address it, but you could have a runner who just goes, oh, yeah, you know, I was kind of only running, you know, 10 miles a week, and then I decided to run 30 miles one week. Well, okay, like, <laughs> yeah, nothing yeah. we did anything. <laughs> In attempts to be proactive, they just end up better explaining the reactive. You yeah. know what I mean? So, yeah. like, if they're – like like you said, the someone's not practicing because their pee's a little too dark. Try telling a coach or an athlete that there's no shot. There's no shot. That's that's not really a logical thought process either. Or who's gonna raise their hand where it's, the consequence is no practice? How is your sleep? If you say bad, you're you can't practice today. At that once you get up to that high level, no one's raising their hand. No, exactly. It's, like purely it's purely subjective unless I'm standing there watching you sleep, which I won't do. Yeah. So that's like one of those things that, that I think we find ourselves, we, you know, it's paralysis by analysis. We get lost in some of this data that, that we're looking at. Um, and, you know, I, I think one of the mantras I've heard from a colleague of mine, we're not, we're data informed, not data driven. And that's how, how we kind of, shift through the data and that's kind of how we justify maybe that we're not making those decisions because i think anyone that says they're data driven would look at that data and actually put like you should technically pull someone out so i think even that terminology you know we talk about we don't use prevention we use injury risk reduction we talk about being data informed as instead instead of data driven so that we still have that wiggle room of adjusting have you heard the the argument to like remove helmets in football no so there's an interesting thought process uh that rugby players have a lower incidence of concussions because they don't hit as hard with leading with their heads because they don't have the protection there mm-hmm. so when you compare football uh concussion rates to rugby it's crazy different mm-hmm. with football being so much higher and the theory is that they have that sense of protection, so they're just gunning for it. So if you take the helmet off, much less people are going to be spearing with their heads and then would drop the rate of concussion. Yeah. Which is an interesting thing to think about, but then you could also you can you, you can, can, uh, you, can you can equate you can equate that helmet, that protection as like what everyone looks at as injury prevention program, the supplements, the all that stuff and people just leading on the head for head, head tackle, head to head tackle. Cause well, I got the protection. Yeah. I got all this other stuff going for me. Like it's kind of an analogy there, I guess that you created. What a whether beautiful you, analogy. Whether you meant to or not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Would you play football with your helmet off? Yeah. Oh, that's a motto right there. Yeah. <laughs> Look at well, us. Look at us. Copyright. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, it's like, it, it, it's funny that you, you go and look at all, it, it's, 
yeah, it seems counterintuitive. It seems counterintuitive. We go and we do all this extra stuff. And I think if you look across the board, I don't think there's enough research to say that a lot of stuff we're doing is truly preventing. And that's why we say we can only reduce the risk. Now, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's some things out there that, you know, if you're doing, you're probably going to help someone. Um, you, you know, and I think your biggest effects are probably actually at like that middle school, high school level where, you know, you can hit the low hanging fruit just because kids have never done it. Mm -hmm. But then you start getting to this high, high level collegiate uh, pro and those low hanging fruit are probably already addressed, like not even an issue. They're all doing their, their strength conditioning programs. They're doing everything from a, you know, try and prevent, prevent, reduce risk of injury. Um, so now it becomes, so how, so why, if these guys are doing everything right, how are they still getting hurt? it's it's a lot of times just as simple as you just can't prevent everything like and yeah. there, there's demands being placed on them that far exceed our scopes their scopes as healthcare providers to be able to try to track and and guide them through yeah at that level trying to get someone who's operating at 99 percent and try and get them that extra one percent that's what those guys are being paid millions of dollars to do yeah. Which is very, very difficult and challenging. So then if someone comes in with nagging hip pain, they're like, what am I doing here? Why am I spending all this money? I still have hip pain. What's going on? And if the clinician's honest with them, it's, listen, like we're providing the best possible solution we can but your injury isn't necessarily avoidable if it was something traumatic, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When it's something that's more insidious, I feel like there's a lot more frustration that comes out of that. So in my world, I deal with chronic low back pain, chronic neck pain, all this type of stuff. And they're like, oh, can you crack my neck? Can you massage it? Can you do all this stuff? And my knee-jerk reaction is, like, I don't want to be a dick initially, but it's like, before we even talk about that, can we talk about like why you think your neck hurts? It's like, oh, I don't know. It just like came out of nowhere. It's like, okay. But then we get into it and they're sitting in the same position for eight hours a day, or they're not sleeping ever. They're drinking a thousand milligrams of caffeine. The list goes on and on with these egregiously bad health habits where if you could plug those holes i'm confident that a lot of these symptoms especially insidious symptoms where it's like where did these come from in the first place your body will take care of itself to an extent obviously there's stuff that you can do in the rehab setting and like that's where i come in and that's where we can make a lot of progress as long as that prior stuff is in check first yeah, yeah. but patients don't want to hear that Every time I say, hey, let's talk about your sleep, nutrition, blah, 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 because once we can clear it, once we can, if, if we can make that better, then I think we have a much better success of what we're going to do in here together. It sounds so like, oh, duh, but people don't want to hear it. No, yeah, Pete, yeah, it's, I, you, know, you know, it always grinds my gears. Every time someone <laughs> comes in and tells me my neck hurts because I slept wrong. 
And, Ooh, and that, because it, it's like no that's not like it's no shot that's why it is you know and i'll still treat it and help them out but at the same time it's like why is your neck hurt what are you dealing with where you like are were you sitting at a desk all day yesterday was it this was it that you know was it stress were you reading a book or you had to study a little bit more the i think i slept wrong i need my neck worked on i'm just like you didn't sleep wrong like yeah I don't know, me, unless you're a better sleep expert than me. I just don't believe that, like, that's... I, thing, I right? think that's, yeah, I think that's more ignorance than anything on yeah. their part. And not to knock them for it. They're just unaware yeah. of all the other things that can be contributing to neck pain. So the natural thought process is I went to sleep without neck pain and I woke up with neck pain. Therefore, sleep messed my neck up. Yeah. It's never been that simple if it was i'd be i don't know where i would be but i wouldn't be here dude it's it's crazy that the the amount of people that want a direct answer they need to attach their pain to an an answer and that kind of goes back to our whole diagnosis thing Mm -hmm. where this pain can't be out of nowhere therefore it needs to have one specific root cause or else it's not going to get better. Pain by definition is so multifactorial that it's a near impossibility to have it be coming from one specific source and completely alleviate it. That's why you see people have surgery on their bulging disc or their arthritis or whatever, and they don't get any improvements in their pain. That's why that happens. Because if that was the true pain generator, the surgery should correct it and you should have no pain again ever. You want a, a quick, quick surgery story, a little research. Finland did this study. I don't know how they got away with it. Um, <laughs> oh, they no. essentially had two groups. Both had shoulder surgery. One, the arthroscope just witted, went out. It was the fake one. I heard about it. And yeah, yeah. And the other one, they witted, they, you know, they cleaned it out, did a corticochromial release, you know, did the whole shebang. And the, and the the results were the same. Both groups had, thir- like, it was like a 37% of the patients had a reduction in pain following mm-hmm. the surgery. Mm-hmm. So, just, so, like, just tells you that, okay, that was, not, that anatomical structure actually wasn't the cause of your pain. And honestly, you know, that's like, you know, when you have the, you know, your big injuries, your big traumatic injuries or things, yeah, that's probably what's causing you the pain. But when you have this stuff that's going on for a while and yeah, it's going to be way too many different things going on to say that it's just that shoulder that's bothering you. Just going to be a lot of different things. Yeah. You can absolutely reduce the risk of injury with appropriate modalities and thoughtful exercise prescription and working with professionals, but you can't prevent it. No. And being, being aware of that is a win in itself. Mm-hmm. And to that same extent, the ability to understand that your pain isn't necessarily outside of an acute thing, like, oh, I broke my arm, it's hanging in two pieces. You know, that's probably where your pain's coming from, that it's broken. Outside of something that's very obvious like that, and it, your pain came out of nowhere, being able to zoom out 
and really analyze you as a person instead of, ooh, my back hurts, therefore my problem must be in my back. The clinicians that have elevated the game and get those really awesome results, they're not just looking at your back. They're zooming out. They're looking at you structurally as a person from head to toe, but they're also looking at you all-encompassing, social, emotional, everything. It's, it's really it's really looking into habits and being able to communicate that effectively. You can make a, you can make up a lot of groundwork before you even touch a person. It's really astounding. No. Uh, yeah. And that's, uh, if you go look and there's a couple different models, but if, for any clinicians, it's called a disablement model where that, uh, kind of what you described, the uh, zoom out and see what is, what else is actually going on here, as opposed to just getting stuck on that elbow hurts or, your foot hurts, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if there's any, anywhere else I want to go with that. This could almost, I feel like if you throw me on another topic, this easily becomes a two-part episode. <laughs> we can just cut it in the middle and then continue. <laughs> oh, boy. But I wanted to hear you yell a little bit more. I'm a little disappointed. I thought I was uh, pretty, pretty lively. Fired up, up, yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm just a little more retained these days, I guess. Mm. But cool. No, I think that wraps it up for this episode. Hopefully, y'all give us a listen after the episode's over. Probably should have said that in the beginning, but cool. Leave comments. (laughs) Share your opinions. Because that's how we know how to get better. The only reason that we're... I think getting better each episode is because people are telling us what we suck at. Yeah. And you know, we got to fix ourselves so that you can also go fix yourself. Go fix yourself.